Norwich City was supposed to be good at this bit. This was supposed to be the bit that they were able to master. They have failed to get out of the championship this season. The calculators have run out on them. The maths is no longer possible. A defeat to West Brom on Saturday means that they will be playing championship football again next season. Any hopes of promotion or the Premier League will have to wait for now. And really, it's time for the inquest. If it hasn't already fully started, to properly start. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt to once again talk about another disappointing day on the road for Norwich City. It's their 17th championship defeat of the season. To put that in some context, they haven't lost more games than that outside of the top flight since that infamous 08-09 season. And given maybe the events that ended the day at the Hawthorns, there was a little bit of of a throwback to the early noughties, but we'll come back onto that a little bit later. Paddy, um, once again, I mean, where on earth, I mean, what, well, A, what is there left to say really about this group of Norwich City players and the state that Norwich City find themselves in? One win in 10 now, 12th in the championship table. They can only finish as high as ninth now. Um, that, that would involve beating Blackpool, of course, on, on the final day. Angst from the stands, disconnection visible, disappointing performances on the pitch. Uh, I mean, I know that it's uh, it's now mathematically impossible and 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 that is that and and that, although that has been the case now it, it's kind of felt like that for a little while this kind of felt like groundhog day didn't it in terms of what we've seen from Norwich city over the the last few months yeah it, it certainly did and um even 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 more troubling for me that you know you, i said we said it on the team news video that we did before the game you know the look under the bonnet, for for want of a better phrase, that will that will have to happen. What form that takes and who's delivering that uh, assessment, health check, um, is to be decided. But you just hoped in these what was remaining two games that you would see enough sort of uh, sort of loathe to use the phrase green shoots of recovery because it's going to take a hell of a lot more than that on and off the pitch uh, from top to bottom to really get a sense of that. But but something, something to cling on to on the pitch where it matters with players who you can justifiably say are going to be part of it under David Wagner, who you would expect will be will be shaping the destination of travel. And um, and after about 20, 25 minutes, I think there was some positive signs in terms of there was a shape and a structure to what they were trying to do on the counter and... Um, created plenty of good opportunities and, and you could see uh, uh, and it was ca- encapsulated by the goal actually and uh, the, 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 that goal started Josh Sargent finishes it but it started with Max Aarons breaking up play in the right back slot quick transitions through Zara um, through Yanoulis excellent pass from Yanoulis excellent finish and uh, very reminiscent of some of the more optimistic games under Wagner but unfortunately having to go beyond maybe Blackburn and, and Millwall, probably right back to the start of his reign, which was Preston and Coventry. Um, that kind of freedom, that ex- almost expression just to go out and, and you're good players and show what it's all about. But it but it felt it was within a structure that was solid and, and robust. And there were signs of that, but let's not get carried away because what happened thereafter was, was abject again. And, more of the same on this run, which is now, as you mapped out there, Connor, you know, one win in 10 at this stage of the season for a group of players who were heralded as um, good enough to, to to really realistically challenge for top two. That in itself, boil, boil it all down. Something has gone drastically wrong for us to be here now picking through the carcass uh, of what we've seen. But 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 the quote, I mean, for Wagner, that, uh, you know, he made four changes in one hit and, and West Brom get that, what turned out to be the winner again, sourced from some pretty calamitous decision making on an individual basis from Norwich players, um, which we'll get into in due course. But I was a bit staggered to hear him say post match that you know that, that that kind of the structure went. They just looked almost like they didn't know what they were doing, and and is that as has been discussed recently? You know the the youthfulness of it and the and the the, the effect that, that adversity seems to have on this group, which cuts to the heart of. You know, trying to find people with, with the right minerals, really, for for what lies ahead, uh, irrespective to the, the technical and footballing ability of these players. But the fact that you know this far into his reign, they 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 almost threw it in and 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 didn't have any eye concept on on the pitch or off the pitch of how to arrest 
was a very comfortable second half for West Brom. I don't think Norwich had a shot on target, not one worth the name anyway. Never worked the keeper at all. John Rowe, and uh, I'm not singling him out, but but he he had a shot. It was about 83 minutes in and, and way over the bar. And, and, and the sound from the home fans was, was derision, basically. Um, and that's never a good look. And, and, and we'll get again into due course that the away fans were, were very vocal in their condemnation at the final whistle. Um, it, it's very troubling how deep the, the trough is and how far they have fallen. And because with as much as Wagner wants to talk of excitement at what's to come and they know the answers to the questions and that a big transfer window's ahead and then a big pre-season, you know, the, the level the levels it will take to, to iron this out and, and move forward in, in a matter of which it will be effectively weeks, maybe a couple of months between, you know, them going off on their, their holidays and, and returning again to, to plan and build up to a new championship season. It's such a short time frame. And you think it really does feel now that they pretty much have to get everything right, whether it be recruitment, whether it be decisions they make in terms of what Wagner's trying to do with this group in terms of style of play and, and structure and, and then bedding all that together to, to hit the ground running because there is a parallel here with, with the Dean Smith kind of tenure, which was, I think, he had pretty much a free pass as as decline became championship promotion, uh, sorry, football again and Premier League relegation. But he needed to hit the ground running, and and he kind of did to a degree. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't um, Burnley esque in terms of the start of the season under Smith, but I think there was enough. I think they went top after they beat Coventry in September, so there was enough signs of okay, yep, he's turned this around. But when it went south again, it really went south because he had no credit in the bank, and uh, you know he wasn't seemingly able to to plateau out the disappointment and the, the decline and, and and start to move them in a positive direction. At least not, it didn't feel with any real consistency to what they were trying to do. And uh, David Wagner is going to be in a similar situation if uh, we get to the other side of this big summer, to, to paraphrase what he said, uh, in tandem with Stuart Webber. And, uh, and then they're no discernibly better off in terms of being a competitive entity in the championship when you talk about promotion and being as they will, I'm sure, want to to pitch themselves as a top six challengers. I think top two probably for the, the here and now is is gone uh, as, as a mission statement because they've fallen so far that you know I, I don't think that's realistic at this stage until we see how this summer maps out. But 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 you would I think any Norwich fan would expect that at the start of next season they have a group of players representing them who are good enough if they get a few things right and they get a bit of momentum and a bit of wind at their backs to, to attack the top six. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm afraid you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be too confident of forecasting anything other than sort of more, more mid table mediocrity from this group and, and this head coach and sporting director and, and club in general, because, you know, without retreading the, the ground we've already covered, certainly after the Swansea game and, and the reaction of the fan base, it feels like a malaise and until we hear some uh, public accountability. And it was good to hear Wagner talking that up again after the game on Saturday night that just get Blackpool out of the way. And then, yes, they will have to publicly, uh, you know, talk about what's gone wrong, why it's gone wrong and what they're going to do to put it right. So so we await that and, and who's that delivering the messages, more importantly, maybe. But, uh, but you know, I think for me, full circle, what we saw again against West Brom encapsulates how much work is ahead, you know, for Wagner, for Weber, uh, for the club in general, um, because it's, you know, it, it's really just such a rudderless mess that, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any Norwich fan will go into their summer with any huge amount of optimism that it's going to change uh, in the space of, like I say, uh, a few short weeks. So, you know, changing the mood is is the first priority, um, and that's going to come from I, I think the messaging that we hear from the people who matter and inside that football club between now and shortly after the the end of the season, and then it'll be about actions as it always is. It'll be about you know what happens to the squad, um, and then what Wagner can do with the squad he has when we get back to pre season, and then obviously building into the start of the season, and then the first few games at the start of next season, um, but. 
you know, if if anybody was in any doubt, the way that game panned out at the Hawthorns um, against a West Brom team who themselves are probably going to fall short in terms of the playoff picture, that that wasn't one of the better teams in this division over the entirety of 45 games as it is now, 44 games, one or two of clubs, um, you know, and they looked very, very poor and very second best, I think, by the end of the game. And I know, and we'll get into it, I'm sure, there was some justifiable mitigation in terms of one or two key refereeing decisions, which went against them. But, uh, you know, that's not to, to fool anybody. This is a massive job now. And, uh, you know, it's not helped, I don't think, by what's probably unfolding the other side of the border and, and the blue half of East Anglia, who, who who feel like that they've come together and, and everything that Norwich will strive to be now, it feels like Ipswich are there now. And uh, yes, of course, they have to step up and do it at a high level, but uh, that only magnifies and amplifies that this side of the border um, is going to be a tough road ahead, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to come back to a lot of what you, you spoke about there throughout the, the pod, um, not least the the, the, the blue side of, of, of East Anglia. But I, I want to hone in a little bit on uh, this run of form because I think it, it's a cliche and obviously you know all about them, Paddy, after your, your cameo this week in a, in a social media video, which we'll discuss later on. Um, but the, the, the run of form that they're on at the moment, one in 10, I mean, just to give people an idea of just how bad that run of form is. I've, I've got a table in, in front of me now. Um, only Reading, obviously, who, who are embroiled in a, in a relegation battle, obviously had a six-point deduction as well, look like they're heading for, for League One. Only they have taken fewer than Norwich City seven points over 10 games. Norwich have won just one, drawn four and lost five. The six goals that they've scored, that's the fewest in the championship. They've conceded 14. I think Blackpool, QPR and uh, one other, maybe Watford, have conceded more goals in that period. Um, again, Blackpool, who are Norwich City's opponents, uh, Bank Holiday Monday, a week uh, for, on Monday, of course. They've won three games during that time. Rotherham themselves embroiled in a relegation battle. They've won two and taken nine points from 10 games. I mean, it's a, it's a staggering run of form that they're on, Paddy. But I think to broaden it out even further, the kind of bursting of the Wagner bubble, so to speak, I guess, when you compare um, what was his first games in charge, 4-0 Preston, 4-2 at Coventry, then came obviously back-to-back defeats um, to Burnley and Bristol City, a victory over Hull, that um, dull, I was going to use a different word, but I'll use dull, draw away at Wigan, the wins at Birmingham, Cardiff, culminating, of course, in that Millwall game, the 10 games that have followed since then, defeat to Sunderland, draws with Huddersfield, and Stoke, a defeat to Sheffield United, that obviously Good Friday win at Ewood Park against Blackburn, which is Norwich City's last uh, championship win, the nil-nil home draw with Rotherham, which I think most people feel they should have uh, they should have won, but obviously didn't. The 5-1 defeat at Middlesbrough, the draw at QPR, the defeat to Swansea, now the defeat to West Brom. David Wagner's record as, as Norwich head coach at the moment, 19 games overseen, seven wins, five draws, seven defeats, 25 goals scored, 24 goals against, 26 points taken, a points per game of 1.37. Just to give you an idea, if you stretch that out over the season, that would um, put Norwich City on 60 points, which again, to give you an idea, would uh, currently mean they were 13th, which is roughly where Watford are. So, uh, and, and of course, obviously the latter end of the, the statements there in terms of drawing out, very difficult and, and the squad will look very different. But the that run of form pad, I mean, all of those numbers that I've kind of thrown at you there and, and, and portrayed to our listeners probably gets to the heart of why this is so concerning, right? Because for a group of players that at the start of the season were told, everyone was told internally and again worth stressing they were internal expectations that were being communicated outwards not the other way around was that they had a championship squad and again I'm I'm going to quote Stuart Webber directly here with the the strength depth and quality to compete at the top end of this division then the goalpost moved a little bit after the sacking of Dean Smith and it was broadened out and it was speaking about top six and obviously that maybe wasn't used as a measure that they were going to assess David Wagner's performance but it was speaking, spoken more broadly in terms of that being the aim. They're now fighting to, to even finish in the top half, Paddy. It's, it's an unbelievable, in a negative sense, run of form that they are on at the moment and probably gets to the heart of a lot of the issues, not just on the pitch but, but also off the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying, I'm thinking they might have to dust off the top 26 mantra, which we had two or three seasons ago. Which, which apparently, although they didn't, it wasn't 
massively communicated that that had been abandoned that maybe as a sign of a lack of ambition when they got to the Premier League and it was about let's try and be top 20 in the country but I mean top 26 might be a challenge currently which is essentially a, a team or a squad or a club that are as a benchmark in the in the conversation when it comes to competing for for promotion from the championship and you know there's there's a lot of stats there that 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 hint at just mediocrity really you know for Wagner to have come in and, and taken a point just over it from a, a every game average uh, is is average really and uh you know it's it's increasingly difficult to sort of um, insert the, the caveat that when he come in halfway through the season and it's not his group of players and, um, you know, Bar Marquinhos, who's, who's been a, a wonderful hit, I think we'd all agree, uh, it, 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 it isn't the players that maybe he would would identify and fit to his template. Now, that's fine to a degree, but he did get five wins from the first seven games. There, there have been some genuinely encouraging signs in certain games, just nowhere near enough of them. And and the games where they've been poor and, and they've lost or they've drawn recently, you know, that that's him. That's on him. That's his tactical setups. That's the personnel. I, I struggle to see. And Sam Byram coming in at the, at the Hawthorns at centre-back was a admission that Jakob Sorensen wasn't working as a centre-back. And it's not his... It's not his position, and it looked like it wasn't his position. And and why why is people externally who who shouldn't really have the same levels of football knowledge as a David Wagner certainly, uh, or the coaches around him not seeing that? I mean, Marquinhos that that was baffling. Why he's come back in when you've got John Rowe fit and available now on the bench, given uh, which of those two is going to be here next season? Um, you could go on and. Uh, those questions are very akin to the ones that would be, would be thrown at Smith, really, as as his sort of tenure meandered to uh, an inevitable part in other ways. That you know, does he know his best players? Does he know his best side? Is he not able to impart into that group of players the, the fit and available ones? Because that's another mitigating factor, I guess, that, that the loss of particularly Hanley and, and McLean, but um, but then every club, I'm sure, at this stage of the season are, are dealing with those issues. So so let's... And, and also, let's just, on that, that. just on that point as well, I know a lot of people have spoken about the experience that is missing from this group, but they've only been missing for five games. So like, there's yeah. 40 games that a lot of them have, not all, not all throughout the season, of course, but they've, they've had them available for a lot of this season when Norwich were underperforming anyway. I, I, I probably accept that maybe they wouldn't have lost at Borough as poorly as they did. They maybe not have folded against Swansea as much as they did, but even that point about the experience I feel is being overstretched a little bit because even when they were in the inside, we, we saw a Norwich side that didn't really function and, and for the majority of the season underperformed. Agreed. Yeah. But uh, you know, maybe others who, who want to offer that as mitigation. So if we put that on the table and then, as you say, you can put it in its rightful context, but it, every game that we see now, which is of this, this variety on this, particularly in this post mill wall uh, decline, uh, you you just start to que- well you increasingly question you know is Wagner incapable of imparting what he wants from his template and how he wants to set about the task of winning games of football and playing in an entertaining mission um, full throttle football was was the phrase he himself coined when he was unveiled back in January we've not seen too much of the full throttle football variety I think um, over the entirety of his tenure. Um, and that's a concern. If if this part of what we're discussing is 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 about Wagner and you know the questions that are, are really getting asked about him, um, and he said himself, you know, this was before Saturday's game, one win in nine. Rightly, he's being criticised or, or queried or questioned, and he would accept that because you know you can't take it the other way when they'd won three three on the spin at Car Road or when they'd won five of the first seven in the league under him, he was getting all the praise and all applauded. So. It's good that he has that self awareness that he knows it comes with the territory, but that's one thing. But but we now need to see something definitive, something tangible, and it'll be next season now um, to suggest that this is different and that he can find a residually effective template. And and you, you don't really want to go off wandering into tangents uh, about philosophy and and kind of the comparisons with Daniel Farker and almost this ideological way of how you want to play football, how you want to set your teams up, what you want to do in and out of possession. Um, Because I think, I think the reality is, you know, maybe Guardiola aside, there's not too many of those 
pure philosophically driven and even you would say Man City you know bringing Haaland and he's he's not in the same sort of category as a, a David Silva or whatever in terms of an attacking option so so even the pragmatism that is is running through what Man City are looking like they're going to achieve this season um is there so it isn't uh, for me it isn't certainly isn't uh let's go back to a, a Daniel Farkas style um Norwich City side for the purists or, or, a, or a football team, you know, liquid football or whatever you want to you call it, chocolate football. But uh, by the same token, you would, and this is where Smith was routinely harangued to, to the point where uh, it became untenable. You don't want something that seems like it's being made on the hoof and it, it, it veers from game to game uh, and even within games as it did at West Brom. You know, as I say, that was the pleasing thing for me. That first 20, 25 minutes... Okay, maybe they they were in in with an opponent who who allowed them to play that way. Um, when a lot of the time the onus is on Norwich to dictate territory possession, the ball. Um, you could see what they were trying to do, but also that the players were fitting what they were trying to do, and it was it was causing West Brom problems. No doubt about it. Uh, obviously, they were still no, no not clinical enough, which those stats you quoted earlier bear out. You know. Blackpool are scoring more goals than Norwich, and that's the time to worry, I would suggest, um, given they're now going to be heading down to League One. So while it was far from perfect, I could I could see what they were trying to do. That hasn't always been the case in, in a lot of this body of games post-Millwall. Um, and if we could see that, then I'm sure a lot of them fans who travel home and away can see it as well. And that's why it's very hard now in contrast to when he'd first gone in the building and he really was backing up performances with results, you could see, yeah, this is a guy they can row in behind. We can row in behind. We can see his methods. They're proving effective. And the more time he has to work with them, the better the output will be, both in performance and result. Well, actually, the other, the opposite's happened. It's gone in a regressive direction. That's the deeply troubling element of this whole equation in regard to Farker directly is... It is actually getting worse under Farker. It's not getting better, sorry, Wagner, rather than better, which you would have thought the more games he has to work with these players, the more time on the training pitch, um, that wouldn't be the case. So that's why, inevitably now, um, we will go into the summer and uh, he will know he doesn't really have a huge amount of credit in the bank, I don't, I don't think now. Uh, yes, he does in terms of how he carries himself and the messaging and, and how good he is and accessible and, and enthusiastic, you know, that, that is all in his favour. I'm sure in contrast to maybe where Dean Smith didn't have that to fall back on, but when push comes to shove, it's, it's going to be about putting a team on the pitch as it is now in the championship that you can see what they're trying to do and they're able to carry it out and they're able to do it consistently and successfully um, that Norwich can realistically compete for the top six slots next season. Um, there's nothing here at the minute that would be anything more than a leap of faith, if we're honest, over the entirety. Yes, you can you can put those individual games on the table and say, look, this is what he can do if he's given time. Because his detractors would say, right, he's had time. But then there's these other games and a growing body of them that would suggest maybe he isn't the man. So, um I mean, we had this on the Q&A on the Pinkham Plus um, the Monday after the, the Swansea game. You know, is he the man? It, it, should he should he be afforded the opportunity to to drive forward what next? Um, and I think that would be harsh at this stage because much like Smith was afforded a window to bring in his own players to try and fit the style of play he wants to play, you'd, you'd want to afford David Wagner a similar opportunity. Um, but... It is worth reiterating. I think in very short order at the start of next season, if we're seeing more of this, then the questions about whether he's the he's the person to take this forward will 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 not only be there, but they'll continue to grow louder and louder. So, you know, it's a big summer for a, a lot of reasons at Norwich City, but it's probably a big summer for David Wagner. I would suggest as well. Yeah, we, we had a forensic discussion last week about kind of off the pitch, particularly centred around Stuart Webber, given obviously the, the chance at Carrow, but but probably the governance of the, the football club a little bit more broadly. And it, it kind of felt maybe that David Wagner was the one person last week at Carrow Road who wasn't kind of getting stick and wasn't at the centre of the, the storm, I suppose. That that felt maybe slightly different on Saturday for reasons that we'll come back to. But you, you're absolutely right. And I think before I maybe go on to the points I'm going to raise, like you, I I, I feel that well, A, that he will be in charge anyway. So, so maybe um, any kind of calls for change at this stage 
feels slightly premature, but but also uh, probably slightly pointless in a, in, a, in a sense. But also that, and that point you say about afforded time, I, I think is is a fair one. The only point I would maybe come back on is is, is this idea, and, and you hear it a lot with coaches. Smith had it as well, and you hear it at coaches beyond Norwich. This idea that somehow they're going to get their own team. Um, I, I don't really get that concept because that no coach ever truly has their own team unless they're at a club for a prolonged period of time, in which case a lot of the time, even Daniel Farker wasn't necessarily um, involved in, in, in the recruitment, so to speak. So I find this maybe idea that suddenly one window and a, and a coach is going to have their own team of players to choose from is just unrealistic. So I'm not quite sure what people necessarily mean when, when they say that. Will he have some players that have been signed whilst he's been in charge? Yes, but so did Dean Smith. And I think we could maybe argue how involved he was in the Gabriel Sarah and Marcelino Nunez ones. Uh, he only got two permanent signings last summer. So that's that's one point I would raise. And then I, I guess the second one is what you spoke about there. It's it's the red flags, isn't it? If we, if we wanted to call it a, a phrase. And this is maybe where the parallels with Smith do come in because we were talking about red flags a little bit last summer and throughout pre-season as well. Um, in you know what what you said there, and actually this streakiness that we're seeing at Norwich City, this inconsistency that has certainly post Huddersfield been what David Wagner has been as a coach to an extent. He ha- his teams have had very 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 good runs as as we saw at Schalke, and they've had very 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 poor runs, and they seem to kind of have them and. There's, I guess, this this inability for consistency, which isn't always the worst thing, particularly when you're in a league like the, the Championship, because, as Norwich nearly proved, if you can get on one of those runs at the right time, you can elevate yourself up the table. But then kind of keeping yourself there, I think, proves really difficult. So that's that's one point. The point about style of play as well is is is, is another one and completely valid because we haven't seen that identity for, for again, and, and, and you articulate something there, up there for, for a host of reasons, and they would point towards mitigation. The, the one that troubles me as well, and we saw it again on on Saturday, that may be ineffectiveness at properly changing football matches. I mean, the, the quadruple change that he made switched to almost a 4-2-4, kind of throwing attacking players on the pitch. It's the type of thing that I, I was really frustrated at Dean Smith for doing at various points of his Norwich City tenure. And it kind of remains the case there. And actually, again, just like we've seen maybe the streakiness in his coaching career, we definitely saw at Schalke when times got a little bit tough, he went to kind of this 4-4-2 that didn't really work. And, and and again, we kind of saw that a little bit of the Hawthorns again. So I would say there are red flags at the moment uh, with David Wagner and probably similarly to other people at the football club, questions that he has to to answer. But the attentions probably aren't going to be on him. And, and just the very last point I would raise, Paddy, really, and, and this is one I was, I was on the Along Come Norwich podcast last week and it was one that, that John Punt raised and it's, it's a perfectly valid one in that his style of football, the the type of football that he wants to play, really is quite specific. It's 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 really well, yeah, really specific. If you, if you look at it, really in it, certainly in English football, but you could go to European football. Jurgen Klopp, a handful of coaches we're, we're probably looking at that that try and execute the style of football that he wants to in terms of the way the the energy that his teams play with, the the way he wants to press teams, the counter pressing, all of these various elements. You need a very specific style of of footballer to do that. And again, I guess there's two points to be raised. A, are they going to have the capabilities to bring in that type of player that, that he wants? And I guess B is a point away from David Wagner. Do you trust the people that are bringing in that player to to bring in the right type of player anyway on, on, on the evidence of the recruitment over the last few years? So these are all red flags that persist around the David Wagner situation, I guess. And this maybe coincides with the run of form now that he's being questioned. And And that doesn't mean that, you know, just because maybe the, the spotlight is is on him this week, it doesn't mean that it's off the people that it was on last week. I just don't think that we need to go over the ground that we we covered last week. So, I mean, what what would you kind of say to all of those points that I'm sure a lot of Norwich fans have at the moment around David Wagner? Because I'm sure they are looking at it and he's speaking about being excited for the summer and um, we, we'll probably get into change more broadly in a moment. But just on him, it, it, it does feel, as as you aptly described it there, a real leap of faith. And there are maybe, for, for a lot of Norwich fans, a worrying sense of parallel with what we saw with Dean Smith towards the end of the season, where he was given a summer window, nothing really changed. It limped on for a little while. And then they have to had to had to make a change, obviously, in December. It can be a dangerous cycle that you get caught up in when, when you kind of, I guess, go down that route with coaches. Absolutely, yeah. I mean... 
the only thing, as, as you were talking there, that we haven't really discussed, and it and it is a factor, uh, and it will culminate, culminate now, obviously, visibly around Timu Puki and his swan song against Blackpool in the in the final Carrow game, is that you know he's had to deal with that situation as well, which which is, and and it's not questioning any individual's professionalism as a as a footballer, you know, but just on a subconscious human level, if you, you know you're not here. Um, beyond the end of this season, if you know, um, you know, there's another cycle of your career about to get underway, and there's multiple of those players in that same boat, then it it's very difficult to to in terms of bringing it back to to what's unfolded under Wagner down the stretch here to to keep that away from the situation. You can see it, you know, Pookie hasn't looked the same player this season, but but in certainly in recent times and. And that's been underlined by you know the fact that they've clearly decided it's Sergeant slash Ida um, who they need to look at with a view to next season, and uh, that doesn't help the kind of the cohesiveness of putting his ideas across into a group of players who he knows are going to be with him on this journey. I think your point is right about he's not going to get a brand new team of new signings this summer, and, and that will be a David Wagner team. He's going to have to add a handful of players to what he's already got. But those are players he knows are here and are going to be with him on the journey. You know, in the last 24 hours, Kieran Dow would appear to be Rangers bound. There's there's very strong uh, reporting uh, coming out of Scotland that, you know, the deal is agreed. He's almost uh, undergone his medical. And when he's a free agent, he will he will dot the I's and cross the T's. So he's another one who's gone. We've got Sam Byram in a similar situation who starts for the first time in five months at West Brom, but has uh, had a horrendously interrupted... Um, career with injuries at Norwich City is he part of it moving forward we need clarity there um we got it with Onel Hernandez but there's one or two others in a similar situation we've not even talked about Max Aarons it, it feels like it'll be this summer contractually that, it, that they have to part ways with him you've got that in the background and as I say just to reiterate we're not questioning these individuals that they're not putting everything in but if that's there in the background it's it's very difficult for David Wagner to, to manage that situation to the point where you, you almost keep the blinkers on everybody and just it's about the here and the now and and what will be will be. That's all well and good and it sounds sounds very um easy to say. But but you know, it does feel like they've had a few too many distractions of that nature in and around the group. And that's not an excuse as 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 is as is not the injuries, but they are factors. And and the reason I put that on the table is because we're now discussing about Wagner moving forward into a new cycle with him at the helm. I, I think those elements clearly won't be in play. You know, the players who are here at the start of next season will be either signed directly by him and Stuart Webber this coming summer, or there'll be players here under contractual lengths that suggest that they, they're going to be part of what he's trying to build and trying to implement. And and I think that clarity for all concerned has to be a good thing because... Uh, you know, then it, it will be over to you, David. Right, this is the group you've happy to go with. Uh, you've had your input into some of the signings we've made. Um, now we need to see what we saw at Huddersfield, which, if anybody's needs reminding, you know, very similar in terms of he went in there halfway through a season, kept them in the championship. Um, so the base he was starting at was considerably lower, really, in terms of league position than where Norwich will end this season, whether it's ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th. Um, and then we know what he did. And maybe that cuts to your point about his results would suggest he's a very streaky manager. And if he gets on a roll, then watch out if you're in the division. Um, because that Huddersfield story came from nowhere, really. The following season, this first full season in charge, takes them all the way to the playoffs. They win the playoff final. Then he keeps them in the Premier League the following season. So you could argue for for two seasons straight, um, he, he, he was really ahead of the curve. And he had a group of players bought into his methods. It was proving very successful um, and they caught a lot of teams out. And and that really, to draw a parallel with, with Farker in 18-19, they caught a lot of teams out. Nobody really expected Norwich to come out of the pack and do what they did. Um, and I guess the ones who are, who are positively willing Wagner to do something similar will hope that can happen again over the course of one summer. Um, he knows what he needs to do to try and emulate what happened at Huddersfield. And so he's kind of got the roadmap there. He knows knows that worked with Stuart Webber alongside him for a lot of that journey at Huddersfield. But the question mark is, is what worked in 16-17, was it that season? 
does that work in the championship 23 24 and nobody can answer that definitively we'll find out in due course but you know he needs to he certainly in, in the weeks ahead i think needs to make much play of he's been over this course and distance he knows what's required and he's starting from a, a better base you would think in terms of the group of players he's got to work with he's done it once before can he do it again um and really i guess that's one of the factors why Stuart Weber has moved for him because setting aside you know their own strong personal interrelationship he he will know that he's bringing in a guy who if it didn't as it's turned out not going to happen in in the immediate short term uh, is somebody who knows what it takes to get out of this division I know the detractors are screaming at the the, the device. Well, that was the same with Dean Smith, and, and look how that ended up. But uh, you know, hindsight is 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 a wonderful tool that that sporting directors, in a footballing sense, certainly don't possess. But um, yeah, I, I I think the more I'm talking now, I think there needs there needs to be some slack afforded Wagner uh, at this stage. Um, but that's not that's not that's not uh, giving him a clean slate and a free pass. In, in, for what's happened, um, you know, certainly since Millwall, because it's not acceptable. It's, it's diabolical, in fact, that this group of players, fitness or, or, or injured players, uh, have have been, you know, as poor as they have, you know, relative to the rest of the division. You know, where are they in the championship form table? Did you say they're, they're sort of 23rd, 22nd, something like that? It's It's unfathomable, really, given what we saw in the first few weeks. And of course, you know, the, the cliche that it is, you know, the new manager bounce is that all that was rather than something tangible, something different to what went before under Dean, Dean Smith and, and something that's longer lasting than, than, you know, um, a different voice uh, and, and a group of players who, who weren't having maybe Smith and Shakespeare and his coaching staff. And it was anybody, but um, let's hope we're not back there again, because if we are, then we're, we're in, we're in deep waters because, um, you know, I don't think Stuart Webber, he's got enough in his in-tray as it is. He doesn't really need to be having to deal with uh, another head coach cycle, certainly in very short order next season. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I guess what it boils down to really is, you know, do, do you feel we can get the Wagner of old rather than maybe, and it's harsh to say, but the Wagner who failed at Schalke and failed at Young Boys, um, and, and comes back to England probably more bruised than when he left. He, as he has done, uh, has, has put out the mitigation why those two clubs had their own unique set of issues that he, he had to deal with. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, six years, five years since since he really had a successful spell in his managerial career with with, with the uh, the growing body of evidence this season. Now, um, those question marks aren't going to go away, unfortunately. I was uh, I was just having a look as you you spoke there, and obviously completely different uh, contextually. And and you're right, uh, and and I'm completely with you. Dean, uh, David Wagner does does require time, and and the mitigation and stuff. And uh, as I said there, he's he's asking for a lot of energy from players who maybe for various reasons don't necessarily have that energy to give at the moment. So he does need a, a preseason, and he does need obviously the the start of the new season, and obviously a, a recruitment cycle as well. But I, I was just looking because. I'm sure there are other clubs who would have pulled the trigger at a run of form like this. And that kind of got me thinking. And I was thinking about Neil Crickley, who was at QPR earlier on in the, in the season. Completely different situation, of course, and, and whatnot. But looking at the, the, the type of run that he went on. So he won his first game in charge against Preston. Didn't win any of the next 11. But, but actually within that, drew five and lost five in 11 games. Uh, David Wagner has, has obviously won one in 10. But... Again, that's that's five defeats and, and and four draws. I think within within that run, so not too dissimilar runs to to the ones that managers have been sacked off the back before. That's that's not what I'm suggesting should happen or is going to happen. But it's just interesting comparatively for how poor this this run of form is. And and just a final point I would make on David Wagner before we move on and speak something else is optics, which I feel like is a word we're going to use a lot in in the next section of the pod. But the optics of it. And maybe this, again, it comes back to Stuart Webber more so than, than David Wagner. In 2017, Stuart Webber, I feel everyone kind of felt was was this kind of innovative, forward-thinking, progressive-thinking coach, uh, sporting director, sorry, obviously then then hired a, a, a coach that kind of matched that vision. It's interesting now from an optics perspective that he's kind of gone backwards and is now looking backwards to someone who, who brought him success previously. And again, it's worth noting, that is the last time really that either of them Obviously, Norwich have won the title since then, so that that maybe is the only point that to to, to counter this. But certainly, it's it's the only point um, 
or maybe the first point that these two are working together, hoping to get success at a point where their careers are quite a low ebb, respectively, from where they were at Huddersfield. So that's an interesting point that's that's worth mentioning as well. But on optics, Paddy, I mean, for the for Norwich City, which is a club that there's certainly a perception because people would disagree with this, right, internally and I guess externally as well. There's there's a perception that Norwich City is a little bit broken, a little bit fractured, a little bit disjointed. The optics, and, and I use the word optics because obviously the, the intention maybe was slightly different as we'll clear up in a moment, but the optics of first-team coach Andy Hughes stood in front of the away end, um, trying to reason with them, speak to them, whatever. But the, the pure optics of it, of him standing there with circus music coming out of the, the PA system at the Hawthorns as well, by the way, which I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but certainly maybe uh, felt quite apt. But again, the optics of that pad wasn't great was it I mean however you you kind of dress it up whatever the intention was well I mean that whole post-match episode was um concerning really but entirely understandable in terms of the reaction and and again you know when you talk about these elements it's not there was 1720 odd fans there yesterday for, for Norwich we're not saying every single one of them was berating or barracking but there was a, a fairly serious percentage who were and you, you could see that even from our vantage you know the body language and the hand signals and the the frustrated windmilling of arms was as the players and Wagner as they always do to be, to be fair to them uh, edged themselves ever closer to that away end to, to acknowledge the support and thank them for their efforts both in terms of financial and, and, and time really um, for not much reward again um, following on from some recent away days you know Blackburn and Millwall aside maybe but uh so, so there was a fractiousness there. You could sense already um, building um, at that moment um, because I'm sure those fans want those players and want David Wagner and his coaches to know how much this is hurting those players, that, that those fans. And, and of course, it's hurting the players and Wagner. You can see it on his face when you ever have to speak to him after the game. You know, he's hurting, he's disappointed, he's embarrassed by this, I'm sure. But, you know... It's the fans who live it twenty four seven, and they're here long after those players and and head coaches come and go. So, you know, they're well within their rights this season to express those feelings of frustration, anger, passion, um, pride in their club, uh, a club that they see underperforming on and off the pitch. And um, and it was in that kind of context that you know, from all the pictures that we've seen and there was footage filmed from inside the away end and, and our photographer Paul Cheston was in there and we've seen frames from there and you'll come on to, you know, you actually spoke to Andrew Hughes who who made a beeline for you and Chris Gorham after the game in, in terms of the mechanics of where the, your post-match elements were taking place. I've asked David Wagner about it and, it, you know, it, it's it's quite clear that Andrew Hughes feels that frustration and and wanted almost to apologise. I think he said to you and Chris and you know I think David Wagner was was pretty pretty spot on when he said there's a time and a place really and 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 immediately after the game when he called it a heated situation but but emotions are running high that's probably not the best moment and in terms of the optics when you've got you know stewards as they were there and and one or two police trying to usher him back onto the playing surface because he by that stage kind of always came to the front of the away end. Um, to engage one or two fans um, who just by their body language were, were very unhappy with the situation and probably communicating that to to Andrew, who I'm sure was trying to take that on board and maybe put across where he's coming from. And you've got Ed Wood and then reappearing from the tunnel and, and kind of heading all the way over the pitch to bring him back with him. It's, you know, it, it, does, it doesn't convey unity, that's for sure, or togetherness, which is, is the appeal David Wagner made after the Swansea game. And... Um, you know, it, it all leads or all bleeds into this feeling that there is a disconnect there and that, you know, far from trying to, uh, you know, find the super glue and patch it all together, it's just it's the, the pieces are scattered all over the place and, and we're, we're waiting for some direction from from those who are, who are at the top of the, the, the pyramid to, to bring it all together and, and message out what they're trying to do and, and where it's gone wrong. So I, I think, I think an, uh, sort of getting on for a day on after that event. Um, I think you just put that down to frustration on all sides, really. I, I don't think we need to run away with the idea that there's a there's now a huge chasm grown between fan base and coaches slash players. It's just frustrated individuals who both want to do the best for Norwich City. That One's coming at it from a professional point of view as a player uh, and now a head coach, uh, sorry, as a first team coach. Um, and the other characters um, are coming at it from 
people who breed bleed yellow and green. So ultimately, they all want to be heading along the same path and reaching the end destination, which is a successful football club. Um, so, you know, I, I think it was ill-advised um, for him to continue to, to to carry on with that dialogue at that moment in time. And I'm sure you can chip in here that when he spoke to you and Chris, he probably uh, more or less would have accepted that and, and knew probably the timing of what he was trying to do was wrong. But, you know, in terms of uh, overemphasizing uh, some schism, I, I think that would that would be completely wrong. I think it was just a, a frustrated byproduct of a, a very frustrating afternoon, uh, the latest in a long line, really. Yeah, and 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 I and I would concur. Um, and I, I don't think it told us anything that we we all we didn't already know. And I I just think it's an, it's interesting if you contrast it with maybe scenes that we saw in previous championship campaigns where that togetherness was so strong, and and, and the away end and the fans were was such a big part of that. And you're right. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I love the idea that um, I don't know maybe Ed Wooten or someone's walked into the dressing room, looked around, and gone, "Hang on a minute, where's Andy?" <laughs> maybe had their their worst uh, fears confirmed but it, it was interesting if, if we kind of look at it from how it played out first and foremost so as you said Wagner was one of the first actually to make to make his way over to the away end um and was greeted with not a not 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 a great reaction really um hand gestures and uh and and some booze from some sections and I'm sure some frustrated words from from others and he I think read that pretty quickly and decided to kind of remove himself from it then obviously the players swallowed it up uh we've got some some images, as you say, of Temapuki looking particularly frustrated. And I think he had to be kind of led away, but well, not led away. That's a bit strong. Makes it sound like he was trying to start a fight, but he was almost kind of um, walking off with, with Angus Gunn. I think you could kind of see the frustration. And at this point, Andy Hughes was kind of uh, hanging back a little bit uh, on the edge of the penalty area. And it was only once all of the players had kind of passed him, you could maybe kind of see in his mind, it was a do I, don't I kind of situation. And he did. And Obviously, he did that as a player as well on, on a couple of occasions during his, his time at Norwich. Um, and I, I, I genuinely don't... And look, I, I preface this, I wasn't in the away end, so I don't know exactly how it panned out or what was said between anybody as as you don't, Paddy. Um, but uh, Andy Hughes, as you said, made, made a specific point of, of speaking to myself and Chris Gorham and just saying that he was disappointed, really, in terms of how the season has gone. He, his words were, I wanted to make sure that, that they were OK. They're travelling good numbers every week. I care about them a lot. Um, and he just didn't want it to be perceived as him going over there trying to aggravate or trying to, I don't know, do, do any of this stuff. And, and, and I'm just, I'm not passing an opinion on that. I'm just merely sort of sharing the message. Um, so that was that was kind of his his take on it, and he, he said that you know I'm so gutted for it, and, and I even made the point to him it was probably not the best time or place to be doing that. Really, it's it, no good really comes of that situation, irrespective of your intention. And his his reaction was, I just care, and 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 I think that that's I think that's probably true. Really, I, I don't know Andy Hughes that well to, to preface it, uh, and and I, I wouldn't sort of. I take him at his word when when he says that because I don't know any different. So um, and Chris Gorham, who knows him far better than me, was was the same. So um, yeah, and and look the mechanics of it and how it panned out and the various people involved. I'm sure fans have a different opinion. Like I say, they're entitled to that. They were in the away, and I wasn't. They had a better view of it than I did for sure. Um, but that that was his take on it. And I I just I just I just think when when if to put yourself in in his shoes. The decision to walk over there to try and um, speak to fans who are visibly quite angry and really frustrated, 1,700, over to 1,700 of them who have paid money to to travel to the Hawthorns. As I said, angry emotions are high. It's a loud football, football stadium, right? So the chances of a clear communication from 50 yards away is pretty tough anyway. I think it will. It, it, it when you've get... got clown, when you've got clown music coming out of the PA when, as well, when, you, when you've got clown music coming out of the PA as well, it just doesn't. I just don't think it helps, and it and it and it's maybe the best situation. I can understand from his perspective maybe why he felt he wanted to do it, and I can understand why the fans feel that he was aggravating and it was, and it acted as a bit of a red rag to a to a bull, so to speak. But equally, I think there's a, a danger, as you said there, of of this being completely overplayed into maybe something bigger or, or, or trying to make maybe grand assumptions and conclusions from it. Um, I just think, as you said, it was a case of emotions running high, two frustrated parties clashing, coming together and clashing, and, and that being the nature of it. Um, 
yeah so so that's that's maybe where we are on that and and maybe we'll we'll leave that there for now and it'll be interesting to see if any more is said and of course we're we're open to different opinions and different stuff as well you can get in contact with us and let us know exactly what, what you think and tell us all the reasons why we're wrong uh if if you so wish to on on all the relevant channels as you're entitled to do so and we always welcome and uh and 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 uh well welcome that debate essentially so so you know that um Let's let's move on then, Pad, to I guess change because it's is interesting. Obviously, you, you referenced it earlier on. The news that we've we've had in in the last twelve hours, no more than twelve hours, twenty four. Let's let's send to twenty four because my maths isn't that good. Twenty four hours or so that that Kieran Dowell is uh, seemingly edging closer to a move to Rangers. Uh, strong reports from the Daily Record, I think it was on late on Saturday night. Um, the report containing details such as he he signed a three year deal already. Um, past the medical which you can pass if you're if you're injured i just want to keep raising that point it, you can be injured and pass a medical it's you have to people i think take the word medical a bit too literally you have to sort of view it as a bit of a risk assessment and uh club you can still pass a medical and have a really bad knee it's just a club will take a, a measure at the end of the day if you do pass a medical or not if that makes sense um so that's that's that bit out of the way but this kind of idea of change pad i guess is feels like it's it's going to really ramp up and i mean where do you stand on, on kind of kieran dow departing because i think it, I, I would say there's maybe been a, a mixed response to it some people who are really disappointed because he was one of the players who did take such a real step forward and, and, and a tangible step forward under david wagner but also there are and have been throughout his norwich career the issues of i suppose consistency of performance but but also fitness so i mean where do you stand on that in terms of how much of a blow it would be to norwich city if kieran dow does uh ride off into the sunset to join michael beale at rangers i think it's a blow in the sense that as i said yeah you, you almost need to detach the the entirety of kieran dow's norwich career from the spell he worked under david wagner who who is the man in 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 charge in the dugout right now and and we've talked a lot about sort of the start of his tenure, David Wagner, five wins in seven. Well, Dow was pretty integral to that, you know, three or four goals. I think it was an assist or two in there as well. Um, and he just seemed to to knit what David was trying to do. And I think it is a blow in terms of Wagner's wanting to put his template on this group of players because he, he, he would have seen in Dow... Um, and I go right back, in fact, it popped into my head. You know, that first game against Preston, his first league game where Dow was excellent, scored, I think, at least one goal, maybe assisted as well. But And there was a bit of surprise from from certainly externally. What, what, what have you seen in Dowell? And, and um, after the game, I distinctly recall him saying, David, at uh, Deepdale, that technical-wise, excellent footballer, no issues at all. But to take his game to the next level, he just needs to add that physicality and that robustness and... Um, and doing things without the ball uh, or against the ball, and and you and you thereafter saw him incorporate that, and you just thought, wow! If 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 we all know, you know, whether whether you agree over the entirety of, of what looks to be uh, the end of a, a Carrow Road spell, he he actually maxed out in terms of his ability and and his and exerting an influence on this group, this club. Then no, but I think no, what wasn't in dispute is that. There was a very good footballer there. Um, we just didn't see enough of it in terms of the, you know, attacking midfielder and, and the technical elements of of his craft. And and given we we pr- probably all saw that in him and had seen enough of that, if David Wagner was then going to take him on a level and, and add other elements to his game, you thought that, yeah, there could be quite a leading role for him moving forward. And uh, unfortunately, it goes back to the point I was making earlier about, you know, there are things that, that David Wagner directly is is responsible slash culpable for in this period post-Millwall. But there's other factors in play that haven't helped. Injuries, of course, are one of those. And I think the contractual situation as well, because, you know, I don't think there's any dispute that he would have wanted Kieran Dow to be part of what he's trying to build here at Cow Road. And because he was running down his contract and, and uh, he's well within his rights to see what else is out there. And um, and if it is Rangers, then you can see the attraction. Um, financially, there's no transfer fee involved. So I'm sure I'm sure that some of the money that Rangers may have needed to divert in terms of transfer fee will go into inducing Kieran Dow to, to swap Norfolk for, for Glasgow. And, um, you know, good luck to him on that. It's a short career relatively for a professional footballer. Um, but also, you know, it will go into an environment where he'll be in with a chance of winning trophies, um, playing in Europe, and and at his age, 
a bit like Todd Cantwell. Uh, you know, if he if he has a good two or three years there in Glasgow, it might catapult him back into a you know higher up the tree in, in back in England. So because of the profile of playing for Rangers or, or Celtic up there, so I can see the attraction from his point of view. Um, it is just a shame. I think where I sit on it is if Kieran Dow stays here and signs a new deal, I think he becomes a key player for David Wagner. And of course, he just still had to continue on the trajectory he looked like he was on under this head coach. There's no guarantee that would have happened. We've seen a few false thorns, it's safe to say, with him in a Norwich shirt. But I think there was enough evidence there that that he could have been quite a, a key player. And, and as a result, David Wagner and Stuart Webber now have to find probably outside the club now, a player who can come in and offer similar types of um, skill set. And, uh, you know, that's going to be difficult, I think, to find somebody who, who maybe could have brought you what Kieran Dow could have brought you for, for the finances that they may have to play with. But that's the challenge. And and I, I would imagine, I mean, it's 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 increasingly looking like it is an exit, but, but I think a little bit like sort of with Pukki and, and maybe Onel, Internally, Wagner and Weber will have known this was where the wind, where the wind was blowing with Kieran Dow, and and if the planning and the talking to other players and their representatives is underway, then then they would be, I'm sure, looking to try and fill the vacancy that is is soon to be there in, in Norwich's midfield. But um, yeah, I can see both sides of the debate in terms of Kieran Dow, and, and is it a blow or is it kind of you shrug your shoulders and uh, and they'll find a replacement. But I think in a summer where they're going to have to do a lot of problem solving, it's a problem they probably didn't need to have to deal with. But that's that's the way it's fallen contractually with him. And uh, if it is Rangers, then, you know, we'll see how he gets on with interest, I guess, from afar. We will indeed. Uh, just worth noting as well, from a admin perspective, obviously uh, two clubs uh, secured their promotion to the championship uh, on Saturday, one being Plymouth Argyle, which is going to be an excellent trip if it's in August or uh, towards the end of the season and a horrendous one if it's in the middle of December on a Tuesday night. So we'll see if the fixture list is is kind. And obviously the other being Ipswich Town and the return of a, an East Anglian derby. I, I don't want to dwell really too much on, on Ipswich Town, but you're right in what you said earlier in it, how it affects, um, I guess, the, the mood of the place and probably feels like David Wagner's the only the only person associated with Norwich City, maybe beyond those working for it, who are excited towards next season. But what I wanted to to read, and maybe it's a, a tweet that that captures best where where Norwich City fans feel at the moment, is uh, from from Gabriel Sutton, who's who's an excellent EFL pundit, more broadly for various channels. Uh, he tweeted this last night, um, and maybe this enca- as I said encapsulates where Norwich fans are more than anything. It says Norwich have had uh, a rivalry um, broadly their own way recently. Um, but another East Anglian power shift looks close. Who has the stronger ownership, better structure, clearer identity, superior coaching, proof in the championship pudding for sure, um, but it's possible that Ipswich are ahead in all counts. And that maybe again sums up where where Norwich fans are at the moment. Of course, we will see how exactly that unfolds next season, but the East Anglian derby will be back in uh, in the championship and at Carrow Road uh, next season. So, uh, joy or grimace as appropriate. Paddy, just to, to finish, uh, we've got to talk about your, your newfound fame, haven't we? I mean, no. it might be, might, might be a stupid question to ask, but is it, is it too early is it, or is it ever too early in a game to score a goal or whatever the question was that you, you posed? Well, you're right, because you, you have, um, for a change, actually quoted somebody correctly there, Connor. And, and I did Thank say uh, it might be a stupid, which if you watch the entire clip, I mean, people, there'll be people, what you know, for these two characters going on about here? So you, you'll need to come back and explain the context of this conversational segment. But uh, in the in the social media clip of which somehow or other I managed to be part of, I God, God knows why. Shared by Gary Lineker, by the way. Well, you I mean, you're telling me all of these things and the the, tr- the top and bottom of it, if you hadn't at mentioned me, I'd have been none the wiser. So that's maybe a slight on me and my social media activity. But uh, but it would appear that, yeah, I'm now some sort of meme uh, along with various sort of actual <laughs> football types rather than somebody who just steals a living. So, and it was all woven around, you know, is it never too early to score a goal? But as I say, go and watch the clip uh, if you haven't already. I'm the only one in the entire whatever it runs for, a minute's worth of con- of content, who says that's a stupid question. So I'm taking that as a as quite a positive, really. But uh, rather than feeling what on earth world we live in, that I, I get cut and shut in between the likes of Guardiola and Klopp and what have you. But uh, yeah. Dion Dublin? 
well, well, that's yeah. I mean, I'm quite happy to share a, a, a social media video stage with with the great Dion. But uh, I'm just thinking though, it probably is a bit too. It probably it can be too early to score a goal because what happened on Saturday at the Hawthorns, Connor? There you go. There's my point yeah. proven. So it may be not the most stupid of footballing cliches. There's probably stupider ones out there. You know, like it's, it's only eleven v eleven and things like that. Maybe we should get our listeners slash viewers to message in the, the, the most stupid football cliches out there and uh, we'll see whether that makes the cut. Yes, yeah. So just just again for some some context there, a brilliant account on Twitter called uh, at Brian's Gun, who I think we're are we going to presume is a Norwich fan, must be. A oh, he's got fan, to be. Right? Yeah, there's no Even there's no there. way I would be appearing on the radar of anybody else if there wasn't a Norwich connection somewhere there with the author. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's very true, and uh, produces these excellent videos, essentially mocking various football cliches. There's been there's been loads, but obviously the latest was uh, too early to score a goal, um, of which uh, Paddy starred in alongside. Some of the great football philosophers, Pep Guardiola, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp, and then Paddy Javit towards the end. So uh, yeah. that was that was a, an enjoyable moment when I opened that up and was shocked to see uh, to see to see you in it. So there we go. If, go only, if only you could show me the deference that I should be getting from being a social media meme now, Connor. But sadly, that that's not going to yeah. happen anytime soon. Well, we, we can, I don't know, make you a hoodie or something. I don't know uh, how how these people go about it when they become internet memes. But um, yeah. yeah, there we go. Uh, just just finally, because I did want to ask you, are you are you booking any Wembley hotels? Not for Norwich City, obviously, but for for Coventry, who I think are a point away, aren't they, from securing a, a, a top six finish? Yeah, it looks that way. Yeah, I think Blackburn play Monday night, so it might be done and dusted. But but interestingly, Coventry's final game of the regular season is Middlesbrough away, and and if you took a snapshot of the top six right now, it would be Middlesbrough in the playoff semi-final. So um, it could be could be a very interesting game at, 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 at week Monday at the Riverside. But uh, no, not quite yet. No, I mean, a few Norwich fans did that, didn't they? Or whether, whether they did or they actually did. Um, after the Preston Coventry wins under Wagner, I think we had some wags had, uh, already earmarked. I've checked the date. That's all I'm going to say. I've checked the date. It's May the 29th, I think. It's uh, the bank holiday Monday. The last one of the of the piece, and uh, uh, well, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, let's not get carried away. What a job he's done, though, Mark Robbins. I mean, we're talking about relatively not huge amount of resources um, to extract what he's done from that team and squad um, is nothing short of remarkable, really. And um, you know, he, he he can do no wrong there. They love him there, and of course, there's a Norwich connection as well in the boardroom now with Doug King, the uh, lowest off to think raised. Uh, Owner of Coventry, um, he's now a very successful businessman. Businessman based in in the Warwickshire area, but grew up a boyhood Norwich fan. So maybe that maybe that's a ship that could have sailed in this into this harbour, but uh, we'll never know. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'd, I'd quite I'd quietly fancy them to get to Wembley because I just think Robbins is the sort of coach who could uh, pragmatically, you know, over two legs of a semi final probably get them there. But then it's it's probably in the lap of the gods if they did get there, uh, whether they could go the final step. But but in the Premier League, yeah, I'd, I'd like that. Although we'd miss out, of course, on a, a great trip to the CBS. Another six-goal thriller. We'd, we'd settle for that next season, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, we would for sure. Uh, yeah, going to be interesting to see how they how they get on. I think basically if... So if I'm trying to work it out now, not not that we should be really, because I'm sure our listeners don't really no, care. But I think, nobody, I think, nobody cares. I think nobody I think cares. they do. I think they do need a point to get in there, and then uh, they'll probably get uh, absolutely battered over two legs by Middlesbrough. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, really pleased for Mark Robbins, who's who's doing an excellent job there. Just just finally then, because obviously we've got uh, a week, well over a week now till the the next Norwich City game. We've got coronations and all sorts of things going on. We'd probably expect news on. Uh, well, the retained and, and, and release list, um, which will likely include... Player, player of the year, Connor. Player of the year well, as well. well. I was going to come on to that. You've stolen my thunder a little bit. Uh, so, go on then, Pad. I'm going to give you a prediction to end the pod. Who is... who? Is, okay, two two answers. I don't really want explanations, but two very, very quick answers. Who's going to win it? And in your view, who should win it? Same answer, Angus Gunn. I'm putting my ratings that uh, I put up from the West Brom game. If he doesn't win it, there's got to be a stewards inquiry because I I, I don't understand who would be a, a more worthwhile candidate. I know there's this thing about when the cutoff point is and and, and the voting system, but uh, but irrespective, I think any underlined it again at the Hawthorns two two or three excellent saves. He's just 
in a in a season that unfortunately has been one of mediocrity, he's he's the only one of the few for me who's managed to raise their level consistently above, uh, well, well above in his case, uh, mediocrity. So, you know, he's been let down badly by players in front of him. Unfortunately, uh, again, illustrated for me by West Brom's second goal, where I don't know how many Norwich defenders that that ball has bypassed before it got to Jed Wallace at the back post uh, to slot the winner, but. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm just trying to think any, any other. Well, this candidate. is this is the point. This is the point yeah. for me. So I, I think Angus going to win it. Who comes yeah. second and third? Because I think you could literally pick the names out of a hat. I'm not really sure. I, I, I wouldn't yeah. surprise me if maybe Kenny McLean was in there. Yeah. Um, Max Aarons maybe just just for consistency and I guess recognition of his service at the club. But to be honest, I'm I'm really struggling um, yeah, with, with is... who finishes second and third. Yeah, but that of itself is if you if you can't if there's not three names that immediately spring to mind, irrespective of the pecking order, um, then you know it's been a poor season, don't you? Yeah, you do. Which uh, seems like a nice place to leave it. Paddy, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, one more pod in terms of game specific pods, at least to go before the end of the season. We'll be at Carrow Road next week for Temu Puki's farewell party, and I suspect a few more bits and bobs going on. Uh, in and around that game as well um, and you can of course get full coverage analysis reaction to everything over the next uh, week or so across our channels thank you very much for listening for watching if you've done that on youtube again and uh, we'll see you again very soon